This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Surprise! What? What's going on, guys? Hey, Margaret. Hey, Margaret. Hey, JC. Hey, John. Hey, Christine. What's going on? Well, we just thought that since it's our seventh anniversary, oh. we should surprise you and do a little celebration. So here we are. I'm, I'm in for that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But but what can we do it on? I don't know. I, I really am not sure. I just did this intro to kind of go, okay, what comes to me? What do y'all think? So you didn't have well, a plan? No, I don't have a plan. Hmm. Seven well, years. Seven years. Years. Well. Lucky seven. What? Seven. Lucky seven. Seven. Lucky seven? Uh-huh. Oh. Well, seven. That's seven. Seven uh, up? Oh, uh, they're not a sponsor. Oh no, no, no. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. seven deadly sins. How about that? Oh, that's so, kind of that's kind of dark. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> I wonder how many of those seven deadly sins have I committed in seven? Let's not go down that road. <laughs> seven dwarfs. Ah, now those I'm dopey. Are- <laughs> <laughs> I got up early this morning. I'm pretty sleepy. <laughs> They're one that's uh. Doc, so you're should... Doc. Oh, yeah, I'm Doc. Doc, that's right. All right, yeah. I guess I'm Doc. Well, okay, so that's not the <laughs> seven. That's not going to work. Yeah, no, how about not, um, uh, seven one. brides for seven brothers? Nah, that's pretty misogynistic at this point, don't you think? Yeah, 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 that might happen here, except it would be seven brides for one brother. Can you talk? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, okay. uh, what about is, the seven-year itch? <laughs> yes, indeed. Boy, do I see that in committed relationships, partnerships, marriages, uh, even jobs. Yeah, and it can cause some real issues. Wow. So it's a real thing, huh? Yes, ma'am. You know, if you look at the research, hmm. research says that, you know, some people say, nah, it's just a myth or whatever, but other people other people's research shows it really does exist. So, and I've certainly, I've seen it in my practice for sure. And I have a few ideas about it. Really? Yeah. Outstanding. What a novel concept. Well, should we just get out of the way, Christine, and let her do it? I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, team, are you going to abandon me? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what we could do? We could come back. Oh, well, how? For like a little summary or something? Yeah, a discussion or something. What do you think of that? Ah, that's never happened before. It would be a new thing for self-work. Actually, this is our first program in our eighth year. The actual seventh anniversary was yesterday, October the 12th. Okay, see you on the flip side. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I'll get to it. Thank you, guys. Before we go on, and I know you'd like for that to happen sooner rather than later, here's a quick message from BetterHelp. So many people, after getting kids back in school and before the holidays begin, want to get into therapy to sort out feelings that have accumulated over the summer. There's something occurring they've needed to grieve but haven't had time. BetterHelp is perfect for that. You can get an appointment quickly, have a few sessions, and do the self-work you need to do. I recently heard a fascinating reframe for the idea of asking for help. 
Maybe you view asking for help as something someone does who's falling apart or who isn't strong. So consider this. What if asking for help means that you won't let anything get in your way of solving an issue, finding out an answer, or discovering a better direction? Asking for help is much more about your determination to recognize what needs your attention or what is getting in your way of having the life you want. BetterHelp, the number one online therapy provider, makes reaching out about as easy as it can get. Within 48 hours, you'll have a professional licensed therapist with whom you can text, email, or talk with to guide you. And you're not having to comb through therapist websites or drive to appointments. It's convenient, inexpensive, and readily available. Now you can find a therapist that fits your needs with BetterHelp. And if you use the code or link betterhelp.com slash selfwork, you'll get 10% off your first month of sessions. So just do it. You'll be glad you did. That link again is betterhelp.com slash selfwork to get 10% off your first month of services. And now on to episode 363 and the first of our eighth year. Does the seven-year itch really exist and how can you avoid it? And I'll announce the winner of a copy of Marriage is Not for Chickens. be fun to talk about this seven-year itch thing today. Does it really exist? Maybe some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. The seven-year itch prediction is that somewhere a bit before or later than seven years, you might begin to question your commitment to a relationship or a marriage. It's kind of like cicadas. They bury themselves in the ground, and then at a certain time, usually 13 to 17 years, they reemerge. And you can hear their loud screeching sounds. I was terrified of them as a girl one year because we had an onslaught of them. They were everywhere. Gosh, it was scary. It's thought that this behavior made them less likely to disappear as a species. But that's not what the seven-year itch is about, at least on the surface. It's an itch to look around, play with the idea of having an affair, getting a divorce, perhaps even feeling finally that I've had it. It's more about a relationship or commitment ending than surviving, at least on the surface. But I'll have a bit to say about that in a minute. To quickly answer that question, if it exists, I think yes, and I'm going to tell you why, but it's not really what research will tell you. It's what I've observed from being a therapist for a bit and what needs to be learned around that stage of commitment in a partnership or a marriage, that seven-year stage. Let's first hear what research says. Let's see, from Wikipedia, in samples taken from the U.S. National Center for Health Statistics, there proves to be an average median duration of marriage across time in 1922. The median duration was 6.6 years. In 1974, it was up to 7.5 years. In 1990, the median duration was 7.2. So you can hear the averages stayed relatively close to the seven-year mark. But it's interesting that both marriage and divorce rates have declined over time now in the U.S. In 2000, a total of 944,000 divorces and annulments occurred. By 2021, it had fallen with just 689,308 people divorcing that year. That might have been due to the pandemic, I'm not sure. But that's what most research can't show you. They can show you relationships between things, but not cause-effect. The most common age to get divorced is around 30, which would sort of tend to maybe make you think about the seven-year itch thing. 
60% of divorces involve spouses between the ages of 25 and 39. But interestingly enough, around 25% of all divorces are now from people who are over 40, which might tend to send the seven-year itch thing into disarray. By the way, most of those divorces are filed by women, interestingly enough. So with all those happy thoughts being brought to mind, there's an author in psychology today who reminds us, it seems that a seven-year itch might be better named the four-year itch or the five-year itch. But even then, there's room for improvement. For instance, when do the seven years begin for the seven-year itch? Is it when a couple begins dating or is it when a couple gets married? The minimal research into this specific topic seems to assume a point of marriage, yet... Couples often cohabitate prior to marriage, co-parent outside of wedlock, or never marry, yet are fully committed to each other. That's really important for us to talk about. And those are really great points. So when does a commitment actually begin? I myself had been burned by not living with my first two exes before marriage, so that was a requirement for me before my current marriage of 33 years, till I obviously felt committed to him way before rings were exchanged. Here's one other thing to make things messier. There's a lot of research to show that reports of marital satisfaction decreases with the birth of each child. And then, quite rationally, goes back up as each child leaves the home. It doesn't say much for the joy of child-rearing, but there's obviously stress, both good and bad, that comes with parenting. But do these seven-year itch patterns exist in other parts of our lives? Could it manifest in your job? The author Frederick Okari on LinkedIn wrote that there are internal and external forces that lead to that itch. The two internal ones are boredom and lack of challenge. Things have become routine and you can slowly disengage. So slowly, you might not even notice it. External forces included a feeling of stagnation, that you're being looked over, or that you don't have control over changes that are happening within the organization. However, your life is highly affected by them. Hmm. I'm not so sure this couldn't be said about relationship commitment either. Boredom, lack of challenge, things falling into a sense of sameness, not having control. But let's get to the better news, even the good news. I picked out seven ways to avoid this seven-year itch. Let me make something very clear before I go on. I've been divorced, and I'm quite sure that many divorces need to happen due to abuse or manipulation or immaturity or whatever. That is not the point I'm making. Here's the point. How do you avoid drifting away from one another to the point that the other side of the fence is not only greener, but has become seductive and even controlling? Like you're living in a fantasy world of what getting away from your partner would be like, that seven-year itch. I'm all for making the choice to end a relationship with clarity, with claiming your part of the responsibility and going forward. But an itch or two, if recognized and attended to, may act as an actual trigger to work harder or differently on your relationship rather than giving up on it. When I wrote my little gift book, Marriage is Not for Chickens, I don't know why I always call it a little book, but it is a little book, I divided it into what marriage is and what it's not, at least healthy marriages. Here's one of the points. Marriage is not for the impatient. Some of the best stuff takes a while to develop, and you have to stick around to find out. And you do. The hardest years, the days, or even months of what I call getting out of sync can be rough. So let's turn to what you can do about this itch before it begins, what you do when you feel it, and how you prevent it from happening again. Oh, 
And I want to announce the winner of Marriage is Not for Chickens. Someone did leave a review in September. It was Urenia. If you're really trying to work on yourself and figure out your mental health issues, I definitely suggest this podcast. I was in therapy and also take medication to help my anxiety. I love listening to the calm, soothing voice of Dr. Margaret. I've already shared the podcast with others. So, Urania or Urania, please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com with your address, and I'll send you a copy. Several more of you left ratings, but you know those are anonymous, so I can't tell. But I appreciate both the review and the ratings. Now, back to what you can do about the seven-year itch. Here are three things you can do to avoid that itch before it ever begins. Number one, understand how commitment changes expectation and tolerance. It's funny what happens when you commit or marry. Well, it's not really funny. But I've worked with couples who've lived together for years and handled things pretty well. Then they marry or they deepen their commitment. And each one brings unconsciously, brings assumptions and expectations into the relationship because it's now long term and it's marriage or it's for the rest of my life. It changes the landscape. And if you're not talking and listening well to each other, you won't know what has subtly changed or even where it comes from, where that change comes from. Here's an example. Let's say your partner had a job when the two of you got together and kept it for three or four years. Then they moved on and got another job. A few years after that, they started talking about looking again. Now you're about seven years in. But you grew up in a home where things were very stable. So this change is disruptive to you. We're married now. It could even scare you. Is this going to go on the rest of our lives? Hopefully you can see that sometimes the expectation of what committed relationships or marriages are supposed to be like may mandate that both people try extra hard to respect the feelings of the other while at the same time have their own voice. This can be a tricky balance. So basically, you want to understand how your own sense of commitment changes your expectations and your tolerance for your partner's behavior or choices. Number two is realize the impact of children and the increased need to listen and compromise. Maybe you find out you don't communicate as well as you imagined. Most of us don't even think about it when we're enjoying the honeymoon at the first few months or even years of a committed relationship. But what most people mean when they say, we don't communicate, is that neither of you feels respected or listened to anymore. Another common problem comes with the birth of children. You've always put up with your partner's occasional spending spree or loving a sport that takes them away from home for most weekends. That's okay with just the two of you. But with children? Hmm. Even things like talking with your mouth full of food, or at least sometimes doing that, becomes more egregious because, and I stress, it's going to affect the children. Combine these two problems, poor listening, which feels like little respect, and an increased irritation or even fear about your partner's impact on kids can be a recipe for disaster. And that can go both ways, by the way. So you want to understand how suddenly there's a lot of pressure to be the perfect parents or the to not let your own behaviors and your own weaknesses and vulnerabilities, your own arguments, whatever it happens to be, impact your children. And you have to have conversations about how that has changed your own ability to tolerate and your partner's ability to tolerate. And then compromise, compromise, compromise. 
Number three is get therapy early and renew your commitment. Even the act of getting therapy way before there are huge problems can set a precedent. We're going to act on problems before they have the power to split us in two because our relationship is worth it. You're worth it to me, and I want to feel worth it to you. Therapy itself can act as renewed commitment. And then spend time alone as adults, not parents, so not with your kids, and not hanging out with your friends. That's great and has its place, but time alone so that you have time and energy to figure out how your partner is changing, how you're changing, and how your relationship is changing. Again, if you need therapy for that, that's great. If you don't, that's good too. I worked with a guy a couple of years ago who'd done something really stupid when he'd been drunk, and drinking was a huge problem, which he did admit. But his wife quickly filed for divorce, and they didn't talk about it. He came into therapy at a parent's request, but saw no reason why his wife should come with him. We never talk about this kind of stuff. We're both busy. And now I've apologized, and I think she'll come around. And he was right. She dropped the lawsuit after he agreed to some things she'd been asking for for a while. So they achieved a balance of sorts. They returned to the status quo, but with no more insight than they'd had before. I guess... Something else will unbalance their marriage. It's not up to me, of course, but when deeper work isn't done, then things may be okay superficially until they're once more not okay. Now, here's the thing that can be done when you already feel that itch. I wonder what life would be like if I were divorced or if we parted ways. Maybe that person at the office who looks at you in that way suddenly feels more interesting to you than before. Maybe you tell yourself that even if you can imagine being with someone else, or there is someone else you're attracted to, that that's a good enough reason to end your relationship. Again, not my call, but be aware of the itch. It's common to have these feelings or thoughts. If what's going on at home or not going on at home is disappointing, it's your sexual intimacy, it's your just getting along, maybe you bicker all the time, then it's easy to become attracted to something or someone else. So easy. And that's the itch. Wouldn't it be nice to fall in love again? I miss someone telling me. And the list can go on and on. But if you're aware of this itch, then when it happens to you, maybe you can catch it before it takes you over. Now, I'm going to be very frank with you. This happened to me at a conference years and years ago. A guy was there who was obviously very interested in me, and frankly, again, it was damn flattering. But despite the flattery, I knew what my attraction was to him. It was because I felt taken for granted at home. So I knew I was itching. (laughs) I kept myself grounded, and the first thing I did when I got home was talk to my husband and reveal what had happened. And he had some things to say to me as well that were his own grievances. This actually brought us closer. But I had to realize where the energy I felt toward another human being was coming from. It wasn't real. It was a story I was telling myself of what it might be like. That it might fulfill that itch I was feeling. You know, reality isn't always pretty or nice. It's often boring and habitual. You have to work at marriage and commitment really hard. So if you know the itch, if you're aware it just might happen, sounds like some old sci-fi movie, doesn't it? If you're aware of it, then maybe you can name it for what it is and identify it for what it is. All right, here are three things that are going to help you prevent that itch from ever happening again or ever happening at all. Now, this one's going to sound weird, 
I think it's a good idea to have regular business meetings. Your partnership, your marriage is a business. Who does what, when, how, where? Appreciation needs to occur. Gratitude needs to be expressed. Who's going to do what, when? Each of you needs to know the lay of the economic land and how you're going to handle the next few months or years. You'd never, ever run a business without reviewing your business plan from time to time. And your marriage is the same. So many arguments or intense fights go on and on over money and what it stands for. So go to a credit counselor if you need to. Get tax help. But your ship has to be maintained from a practical standpoint, or whatever romance there is will drown in a flood of bills and credit card debt. Honesty is obviously needed here, and that can also be a problem. If so, that itch can deepen into a real chasm, and that is bad, bad news. Here's one more. Learn to tolerate disappointment and irritation. I keep talking about that toleration, don't I? But I think it's really true. Again, because we think of marriage, oh, and we get all rosy-cheeked and think it's just wonderful, and it is in many ways. We celebrate people's 50-year anniversaries with them, but there are rough times that have to be tolerated and gotten through. I'll quote again from Marriage is Not for Chickens. Marriage is getting irritated by the things that always irritate you, have irritated you for years, will irritate you for many more, and tolerating them because they're way overbalanced by the good stuff. Realizing that someone's not going to change some of the things that you just knew would change when the two of you committed or married, that can be a real downer. In fact, sometimes it has to be actually grieved. But I think that's what happens somewhere around seven years. You realize those things are not going to change. It may be something like they rarely, if ever, bring you a gift. When you've both read the five love languages and you've told them that gifts is your number one thing. And yet, they still forget. After you've let out a huge sigh, then what this suggestion means is, well, I'll focus on how I do feel loved. Maybe it's not going to be all of what I want. Maybe I need to set up a gift exchange with friends and get that need met elsewhere. But my disappointment isn't enough to end the relationship. I can tolerate it. Or I can tell my partner, I'd like for you to get tickets to the game for me for my birthday. Sure, there's no surprise, but you are getting a gift. I love the picture that accompanies this particular saying in the book. The picture is by Christine Mathias. And it's of the fog rolling into the San Francisco Bay Area. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. But when you think about how much trouble that fog must cause residents day after day, it's kind of funny, but really not. Healthy partners manage and tolerate disappointment. You don't tolerate abuse. You don't tolerate manipulation. But if it's disappointment and a bit of irritation, that goes along with the territory. And, again, you figure that out probably around seven years into it. It's just not going to change. You breathe into it and decide how to live around it. The final one of how to prevent a seven-year itch, a 10-year itch, a 13-year itch, whatever. Laugh. I know pretty reasonably well that when I have a couple who comes into therapy very angry and accusing with one another, if I could also see and hear them laughing together, poking a little fun at themselves and maybe a little gently at each other, then there's hope. Laughter is vital. Now, if you're depressed and can't see anything as funny, then please seek help yourself. If your partner may be depressed, then approach them by saying, I haven't seen you smile in so long. I miss your laugh. Have you noticed that? And see if you can help them see it in themselves. 
deaths of parents, struggles with children, job instability, illness, pandemic, trauma from the past that's never been reconciled or healed. There are so many really hard things in life, political strife right now in our country. Everyone has their own sorrow and burden. But finding humor and laughter in things is immensely healing. And sharing stories with one another where you fight to get your breath back, you're laughing so hard, that's a kind of intimacy all its own. So to summarize, how to hopefully prevent the itch, understand how commitment changes expectation and tolerance, realize the impact of children and the increased need to listen and compromise when you have them, get therapy early and renew your commitment. And then if you're already feeling it, be aware of it and name it for what it is so you can control it and it doesn't control you. And how to hopefully avoid another round Have regular business meetings if you don't already. Make sure the practical part of your partnership is working well. Learn to tolerate disappointment and irritation. Again, you may have thought changes were going to be made that weren't. Now, if they're truly, truly significant and important and promises were made that have been broken, that's one thing. But if you just made an assumption that something was going to change and just hoped for it, that might not happen. So where where do you get those needs met, or how do you tolerate that? And then can you open up a line of communication so you're not so disappointed? And the last one is to just laugh together. That's so, so very important. I want to thank you all for being here, and I want to invite Christine Mathias and John Crowley, my team, back to the table to discuss, like we said in the intro, what they thought about the episode. What did it mean to them? So, guys, yeah, would share, please. Do you feel like sharing? Absolutely. When have you known us not to talk? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So, what were your takeaways, guys? Uh, well, mine was the business meeting. I really liked that. And one of the main reasons is, is because that's something that we do already. Okay. We don't call it a business meeting. We call it checking in. Okay. Um, where we'll just say, you know, what's going on? Um, yeah. You know, what's, what's happening? I'm glad to hear that because it's really, I get a lot of pushback when I say to couples, I think you should have a business meeting. Well, why should we do that? Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to really know about the money or I, you know, we, it, it's like they're just assuming that things are going to keep on going well. And yet, you know, credit card debt is building or whatever. Well, the money thing is always on the table for us. Okay. Be- it's just one of those things that we keep up with, partly because I married a, an accounting major, oh. but, but yeah, we, we just keep on that stuff all the time. It's just one of those things that's built in. So Maybe you think that helps this whole idea of things falling apart at a certain time in your relationship? I think that knowing how much money is in the bank account, mm-hmm. where it's going mm-hmm. takes a load off of everyone's minds Right. I think that's really a great idea, the, the having a meeting. And my boyfriend and I don't do that. But I think that actually, you know, hearing the episode and, and even just this conversation here, I think that, that it's something that we need to, I think we have to have a meeting about having meetings. <laughs> <laughs> 
I always tell people that um, it's really good to go to a room like your guest room or your dining room or somewhere where you never argue and have the meeting there so you don't have this habit of, oh, we always get into an argument in the kitchen. And so anyway, it, it kind of helps set up the idea of everybody's in their business mode. I like it. I like it. What about you, Christine? What'd you like? Yeah. So my, the thing that really struck me was that the idea that you may not be as great a communicator as you think you are. Yeah. Um, hit me, hit me where it hurts a little bit. Cause I do, I do think of myself as a good communicator and, um, but you know, maybe, maybe there's room for a little improvement there. So, uh, maybe a lot of improvement. I don't know. So I think that'll be something that maybe we discussed at that meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that I think I'm, you know, better. And then I realize, oops, you know, and like, <laughs> like I say all the time, I'd be out of a job if we were all good communicators. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. No, we don't want that. <laughs> well, listen, I can't tell you how much I appreciate celebrating this day with you in this event. Y'all are incredibly special to me. You have wonderful talents that you you know, give to the program and we we have a good time and and I just want everybody to know it. That's why I wanted y'all on the program today because self-work would not exist without Christine and John. Thank you. Aww, thank you. Well, like I thank used to you. say to my mom, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> All right, but we're going to wrap this up. No. Hey, guys. <laughs> You're, whoever whoever's listening to this, thank you so much for being here and for your loyalty, for your ideas, for your connections, for your emails, for your voicemails. We couldn't do it without you. And so self-work is on for another year. Number eight, we're going to have some great things happening this year. Let us know. Ask, uh, email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com for your own ideas. Leave me a voicemail on SpeakPipe. Subscribe at DrMargaretRutherford.com and you'll get a weekly email. Anything else, guys? Am I forgetting? That sounds about right, right to me. Okay. Crickets. It was just crickets there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Please take care of yourself, those you love, and your community. This is Dr. Margaret and friends, Christine and John. And this has been. Bye. And this has been. Sorry. <laughs> and this has been <laughs> self-work. Thanks, Christine. Thanks a lot. <laughs> a little extra work for you there. 